Monday, brand new week. Last full trading week before the holiday begins. And we begin another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Dirk Christensen, and welcome to the Round Table. It's kind of a long narrow table really but uh, it serves its purpose as we give you the information about what you'll be hearing over the next couple of hours here on the network and susan littlefield is right over here on the ag headlines mike good morning how are you i'm doing well what a beautiful day outside well yeah it's all gonna change you gotta soak this up now Mm -hmm. because you get to thursday and who knows where the end is we need a white christmas i think we do yeah and we need a little moisture i was just gonna say we'll take the moisture too everything in south uh, southwest nebraska and those adjacent areas in kansas and colorado could use every drop they could get now what's this i hear about a nebraskan is suing the usda yeah with a whole jibs of lawsuit that's been um been introduced it happened on friday the story itself is on our website so you can go find it um to read more about it but bryce is going to have more with the organization for competitive markets about this lawsuit against the usda there is a nebraska producer that's a big part of it that is going to come up at twelve forty-five. also talking cover crops especially on uh, these days like the windy we get that'll keep your crops and soils in place more about the importance and research that's being done there and then calf for a cure it's part of the thing the Cattleman's Ball is doing this year, so we'll have more at 117. Always a great event. Much so. Very good. Jason Jorgensen, well, just another Monday, another volleyball national championship. Yeah, make it five now for the Huskers, four for Coach John Cook as they completed the mission on Saturday night. It's, it's odd how things shake out. Of course, last year was a year that many thought they would win it, and they came up short. And then this year, you lose four All-Americans, you rebuild. Uh, he had his song and dance before the season started about how they completely had to reinvent themselves. He had two new assistant coaches, and they pull it off. Well, they found the way. They did. Uh, we have a reaction for you coming up in sports. Also, uh, something that just broke is if he hadn't won enough awards here between the tail end of the regular season the bowl <laughs> season, another award for new Nebraska head coach Scott Frost. He has been named the Associated Press coach of the year that is at least the third major coach of the year honor that he has picked up with all of the great work he did at central florida and of course he continues to uh, kind of balance things out recruiting for the huskers and then getting the knights ready for their big peach bowl matchup against auburn a thought crossed my mind about how many nebraska colors will be seen in that peach bowl crowd True, and I was thinking never before have so many Nebraskans cared or watched the Peach Bowl because I don't think the Huskers have ever played in the Peach Bowl that I can remember. But there will be some eyeballs glued in on the 1st of January. I was coming up in sports, so we'll kick around everything else that's uh, going on. Husker women, big win yesterday on the road at San Jose. They suddenly have won four in a row. Okay, very good. Thanks, Jason. And Bob Brogan has business. Stocks on the rise as the Republican tax plan moves ahead in Congress, and they're saying that tax plan will likely be voted on this week. Also, the average price of a gallon of regular grade dropped three cents nationally over the past couple of weeks. Campbell Soup will spend nearly uh, $5 billion for Snyder's Lance, gorging on a snack market that's grown increasingly competitive. And, of course, a terrible train derailment in Washington mm-hmm. State, which we're following. They're saying uh, multiple injuries, multiple fatals in that. And so that's going to probably top the news today. All right. Thank you very much, Bob. We'll follow it all for you today on Midday. 
Paul Perkins over here with a look at our ag weather for today. And it's brought to you by Coolman Repair. We've got some pretty strong winds just to the west, don't we? Yes, in Wyoming, they've been having some troubles with uh, some very strong winds earlier this morning. Right now, wind gusts up to about 67 miles per hour just to the west of Cheyenne. And then to the west of Laramie, they've had wind gusts up to 62 miles per hour. Our temperatures right now warming very nicely into the low and mid-40s in many locations. Already some low 50s over northeastern Colorado. Getting warmer today thanks to a westerly downslope wind returning off high pressure over the Rockies. Fire weather concerns going to be up near critical levels, especially the farther west and southwest you go today. Temperatures tomorrow still on the mild side, but we will be slightly cooler thanks to a backdoor cold front dropping in from the northeast, but that's going to be uh, a walk in the park compared to what we're going to get at the end of the week for the slightly cooler conditions tomorrow. Another mild day expected Wednesday. That's due to some south winds ahead of an approaching strong cold front. And then by Thursday, that's when we're expecting that strong cold front to arrive just in time for the first day of winter. Mother Nature giving us a good hint there. Much colder air and a good chance for some rain or snow arrive Thursday with that strong cold front. Any snow accumulations right now look to be light due to the possibility of some liquid precipitation mixed in. And it looks like the better chances of snow going to be the farther north you go. Northern Nebraska seeing the best chance for moisture with this system, while northern Kansas could miss entirely. Forecast models also starting to become a little more aggressive with developing some snow for Saturday and Sunday with the Sexton system, and that will also push our temperatures even colder. In the long-term forecast, a high likelihood that temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas will be colder than normal this weekend through the last day of the month. So the entire holiday period there from Christmas into New Year's looks like it's going to be on the chilly side. For reference, daytime highs in central Nebraska usually average in the upper 30s with overnight lows on average in the mid-teens. Our precipitation forecast expects near-normal precipitation for Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through the 31st. The exception is this weekend and early next week when southwest Nebraska to western Kansas are expected to see above normal precipitation. In the markets, weather factors include a weekend of have and have not rain in Argentina and possible cold weather stress in wheat areas of the southern plains. Active jet streams across both the northern and southern U.S. will contribute to quite a bit of storminess over the next several days. In the north, a storm system will arrive in the Pacific Northwest tomorrow and reach the Great Lakes towards the end of the week. That will result in a midweek push of snow across the northern plains and upper Great Lakes. Locally heavy rain will erupt the next five days from eastern Texas into the southern Appalachians. Sharply colder air will engulf the western and central U.S. during the second half of the week. Across the southern plains, the current warm and dry weather continues to stress non-dormant wheat and little rain expected in the next 10 days. The much colder weather later in the week will put that crop into dormancy but also cause some potential stress from the rapid change. Rain across the south into the Ohio Valley will help recharge soil moisture for soft red winter wheat areas. This past weekend, beneficial rain fell in eastern Argentina, but very little fell in the west, a similar forecast predicted for this week. Consistent rain in central Brazil this next week will also help to keep their crop conditions favorable and also lead to probably the prospects for a big crop. Southern Brazil saw very little rain this past weekend. Some rain and mild temperatures are expected this week. Far southern state, though, of Rio Grande do Sul will probably miss out on that expected rain. 
Ag weather this hour brought to you by Coleman Repair. And for the rest of this day, not too bad, a little breezy, a little cooler, but you're saying we're truly on notice by Mother Nature. Exactly. Enjoy these last days of fall, today through Wednesday, because the first day of winter, it will feel like it all of a sudden. <laughs> okay. And when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Against the USDA over Gypsa. I'm Shaylee Peters with a midday check of your ag news here on the Rural Radio Network. President of the Organization for Competitive Markets, Mike Weaver, talks about why they filed the lawsuit. Well, we believe that USDA acted inappropriately, if, if not illegally, and uh, abolishing the possibility of even getting these rules. So we're going to see what a judge thinks, thinks about it. And Weaver talks about what they're hoping to accomplish with this lawsuit. Transparency, number one. Uh, honesty and fairness in the market. When, when these companies are, are uh, making this kind of money and they're not willing to share it with the farmers who, who are uh, producing the product that they make all that money on, that's, that's wrong. And it needs to be changed. And, and the, in the bigger picture of things, not only are they damaging individual farmers, but they're, they're drawing all the wealth out of our rural communities, which is driving our kids off the farm. And the majority of them are that way because there's no money in it, and that shouldn't be. The Organization for Competitive Markets filed the suit as a petition for review in the Eighth Circuit of the U.S. Court of Appeals. And despite the August 1st tariff hike from 38.5% to 50% on frozen beef, Japan's imports have continued rising year over year. While tariffs will hit U.S. beef shipments, recent trade agreements between Japan and Mexico and Australia will exempt supplies from those beef exporters. Japan Ministries of Finance figures currently available through October show a 16.72% year-over-year rise for total imports of frozen beef in the August to October period from a little over 612,000 tons in 2016 to 714,437 tons this year. Imports of U.S. product rose 13.8% from 211,824 tons to 241,185 tons. The year-over-year increase shows up in the data every month since the tariff hike. And a new extension educator for farm and ranch management analytics is Nebraska native Glennis McClure. She joined the Department of Agricultural Economics in late November, filling a position previously held by Roger Wilson, who retired in 2016. With a 100% appointment in Nebraska Extension, her responsibilities will be to further develop an extension program in farm and ranch management analytics, including publishing all livestock and crop enterprise budgets, surveying and publishing the Farm Custom Rates Guide, and assisting with special economic analysis as required. I'll be working with Nebraska Extension professionals and farm and ranch managers across the state to continue gathering information on crop and livestock budgets and the custom rates information that has been helpful to many historically, she said. I'll be working with professors and specialists on innovative ways to educate, disseminate, and utilize the information from the budgets. We are currently working on getting the custom rates survey out across Nebraska. Any farm or ranch operator who does custom work in their area can participate in the custom rates survey 
which is done every two years, she said. And finally, farm leaders over the weekend praised Senators John Hoven from North Dakota and John Thune from South Dakota for writing an amendment in the final tax bill to address the elimination of Section 199, which allowed cooperatives to pass a deduction for production and marketing expenses on their members. Agricultural tax accountants from Keiko Isom and Clifton Larson Allen also offered some quick takes of the final conference tax reform bill released Friday. Some farmers will benefit from lower tax rates and other provisions such as temporary full deductibility of equipment purchases and an expansion of the estate tax exemption. There are concerns, however, that these beneficial changes could expire. With a quick check of your midday ag news, I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Using cover crops in Nebraska. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett. In 2015, Nebraska Extension did a survey of 258 Nebraska farmers sharing information and insights on their current management practices and the use of cover crops in Nebraska cropping systems. The results of that 2015 survey showed that of the participating farmers, 34% planted cover crops during the previous cropping system. The top barrier to cover crops was time and labor required to manage the cover crop. Since 2005, these numbers have only gotten larger with producers in Nebraska and surrounding states using cover crops on their operation. Last week, I had the opportunity to catch up with Clay Govier, who's a producer from Broken Bow, Nebraska, and he has been planting cover crops on the operation for a number of years. We first began our conversation discussing more information about his farm. Well, I'm a fifth generation on our farm. Um, we farm about uh, 3,500 acres, give or take, mostly corn soybeans, but we're trying to uh, increase our acres of yellow field peas and winter wheat, and we do a little bit of alfalfa, too. So what first got you interested in cover crops and walk us through how you guys started in those? Well, I guess I've really kind of um, bought on to the soil health movement. And I know that, you know, keeping a living root in your soil, you know, as much of the year as possible is very, very important, as well as keeping the soil covered. So, you know, in your off season after harvest, having something growing, um, you know, and don't have bare soil, it's, it's pretty critical to overall soil health. How many years have you been planting cover crops now? And also tell us about the specific cover crops you're planting. Well, I guess um, we've really only been doing it for about four or five years intensively or, or in any, I guess, you know, major way. Um, you know, and we've tried some different things. And, and basically, just given our climate here in Nebraska, it, it, if you're a corn-soybean rotation, that really is a limiting factor on what types of cover crops you can actually use. Cereal rye just seems to be a go-to for everyone just because, you know, you can get it in late and it'll still grow. Um, but what we found is that uh, tailoring our cover crop blends to our cash crop rotation is pretty critical um, just so you, uh, you don't um, have an issue with your with your following cash crop let's talk about some of the specifics uh so what have you done with your cover crop have you grazed have you tried to sell the the crop we've definitely grazed a lot of it um sometimes we'll just let it let it be alone um it depends you know sometimes we'll do say like a spring oats first thing we'll we'll put that in in march and then we'll terminate it with our herbicide applications you know whether we're going to corn or soybeans 
Um, so in that instance, we wouldn't graze anything. But uh, but I do know several people that will plant cereal rye and, and graze that for a little while in the spring before they put their cash crop out there. You and I were talking before we got recording here. One of the challenges with cover crops is you need to plant them at the same time that you're trying to harvest a lot of the traditional crops, the corn, the soybean, that time of year. How have you all been able to balance that on your operation with getting that cover crop in in, in time? Well, I mean, it's... It's just prioritizing things um, with anything else. If you uh, if you truly believe that cover crops are going to be very advantageous for the following cash crop, then you just have to put a certain amount of priority on, on getting that in during harvest. And if that possibly slows down harvest or you have to pick up an additional, you know, seasonal, some more seasonal labor so, you know, somebody else can jump in a tractor and, and run the air seeder while, um, while everybody else is worrying about picking corn and soybeans, then that's just kind of how you have to manage it. Thanks so much for that information, Clay. That was Clay Govier. We're talking about cover crops in Nebraska, specifically his area of the state, which is near Broken Bow. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskin. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the hardware continues to head in the direction of new Nebraska head coach Scott Frost. This morning, he was named the Associated Press Coach of the Year after leading Central Florida to an unbeaten season and a spot in the Peach Bowl. Of course, he's headed to Nebraska, but will complete the season with UCF and coach the 10th-ranked Knights against 7th-ranked Auburn. Frost received 21 first-place votes. Now, he continues to try to line up recruits for the 2018 recruiting class. Defensive back Deontay Williams announced yesterday that he will sign with the Huskers. He's a former Florida commitment who was a late addition to the guest list to visit Lincoln this weekend. The defender played at Jones County Junior College this past year and will have three years of eligibility remaining. He is expected to be an early enrollee and will participate in spring ball for the Huskers. Another Husker football news, Carnic Catholic star quarterback Matt Masker announced yesterday that he will accept a walk-on offer from Frost. Masker received the offer just last week. The Husker volleyball team won its fifth national title on Saturday night, downing second-seeded Florida 3-1 to in front of an NCAA record crowd of more than 18,500 fans at the Sprint Center in Kansas City. Of course, most of them were wearing red. Senior setter Kelly Hunter says this was a great way to go out. Yeah, only one group um, of players gets to go out on top, and fortunate enough for us, that's us this year. And um, yeah, like you mentioned, this has been my favorite group since I've been here, and um, we proved a lot of people wrong, and we we grinded all season long, and it was a long season, but um, we worked every single day, and that made us so close. So um, I'm going to remember this group for a really long time. The Huskers won their fifth national title in second in three years. They also became just the third team in NCAA history to win five national titles. Kayla Fecky led the Huskers with a match-high 20 kills as she and Hunter were named co-NCAA Tournament Players of the Year. Carolina Panthers owner Jerry Richardson says he'll sell the NFL team after the season. Of course, he faces a growing investigation that accuses him of sexual misconduct and using racist language at work. The Panthers, who lost in the Super Bowl two years ago, are in the position to make the playoffs again this year. Ezekiel Elliott will return from suspension to a Dallas Cowboys team still in the playoff hunt thanks to a first down gained by the width of an index card and a fumble just shy of the end zone. 
Dan Bailey kicked the go-ahead 19-yard field goal after Dak Prescott converted a four-town sneak by the slimmest of margins. And then the Cowboys survived a late-minute drive by Oakland when Derek Carr fumbled just short of the end zone to give Dallas a 20-17 win. In the latest men's college basketball top 25 poll, Villanova remains number one, Michigan State is second, and Arizona State, who's having quite the year, they climb up to number three. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. I'm Dave Schroeder. Mostly clear skies tonight. Lows in the 30s. A little cooler in the west. Authorities say multiple people were killed when an Amtrak passenger train derailed onto Interstate 5 south of Seattle, Washington. None of the fatalities were motorists who were in cars and trucks when the train came off the tracks around 8 o'clock this morning. Emergency responders were working to get survivors out and to area hospitals. A Western Nebraska Natural Resources District is raising funds for a solar-powered geothermal heated greenhouse to grow oranges, lemons, and other tropical fruit. The North Platte Natural Resource District's greenhouse project would include an outdoor learning facility to promote the district's research and education goals. Panels on the greenhouse would provide the $500 worth of electricity needed to maintain the temperature at 54 degrees. More than 20 local donors have contributed to help match a grant for the Nebraska Environmental Trust. Nebraska Senator Deb Fisher's voluntary paid family leave proposal has been included in the final tax reform bill. Senator Fisher says will be a huge step forward for American women and working families. So that we can target people, employees that make less than $72,000 a year so that they can take off an hour or two. These are hourly workers and so they can take off an hour or two to take their kids to the doctor to be able to go check on an elderly parent and the business isn't mandated to offer this but they're incentivized to offer it. I don't want to I don't want a mandate. I don't want to burden family uh, owned small businesses. The GOP plans to push the tax cut proposal through Congress this week before its year-end break. A Kansas legislative committee is planning to consider the potential problems caused by diverting hundreds of millions of dollars to public schools from other parts of the budget. The special joint committee is scheduled to meet today and tomorrow to continue gathering information. Lawmakers have started work on a response to a Kansas Supreme Court order in October to boost spending on public schools. An energy company is proposing a wind farm with 100 turbines in Reno County near Haven, Kansas. More than 100 people attended an open house to discuss the plans from Nextra Energy. The proposed farm would generate 200 to 300 megawatts of power enough to power about 60,000 homes. Some landowners have already signed contracts with Nextra Energy, but a few at the meeting said they were opposed to the project. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone. Download it free in the App Store or Google Play. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. A lawsuit over Jibsa. Good afternoon on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskett. On behalf of the Organization for Competitive Markets and Independent Farmers from Alabama and Nebraska, Democracy Forward challenged the U.S. Department of Agriculture for what they're calling illegal rollback of critical protections intended to shield family farmers and ranches from predatory and retaliatory practices by big agribusiness corporations. 
At the heart of the issue, well, in October, USDA's Grain Inspection, Packers, and Stockyard Administration, often referred to as GIPSA, withdrew from the Fair Practices Rule, which would have allowed farmers to hold agribusinesses accountable for practices like retaliation, bad faith cancellation of contracts, or collusion efforts to force farmers out of the market. Joining me now to talk more about this issue is the president of the Organization for Competitive Markets. His name is Mike Weaver, and he's from West Virginia. Mike, thanks for joining me. As we begin, let's hear more about your operation. Well, in addition to being president of Organization for Competitive Markets, I'm also president of Contract Poultry Growers Association of the Virginias. I, I raise uh, broiler chickens and Angus beef cattle on, on my two farms that I own in, in West Virginia. And, Mike, you mentioned that you're a contract grower. How long have you been doing that? Well, I, I bought this farm 17 years ago. At the time, raising chickens was was uh, pretty fairly lucrative, and I thought it was the right thing to do, but we're going on almost 20 years now since poultry growers have had an increase in base pay from the integrators uh, that we raised the chicken for, and and there's no way that's fair. Just, just to show you, uh, contrast that for you. In, in 2015 and 16, Pilgrim's Pride, who I rent tickets for, uh, paid their stockholders $2.2 billion in dividends. And like I say, we're going on almost 20 years since growers had an increase in base pay. That's just wrong. Again, Mike Weaver is joining us. He's a farmer in West Virginia, also the president of the Organization for Competitive Markets. Now, Mike, talk about what GIPSA means to you. Well, it means different things to, to different farmers and ranchers, depending on whether you raise poultry or cattle or hogs or which uh, ag sector you're participating in. But to me, as a, as a poultry farmer, uh, I raise beef cattle too, but uh, by and far uh, the largest production I have is poultry, chickens, in my case. And it, the, the rules will give me an opportunity to... to uh, have a chance to pursue some recourse in court if I believe I'm being mistreated by the company. Uh, right now, the, the way some courts have interpreted the, the existing rules, uh, it, it essentially makes the companies bulletproof, and uh, there's there's no way that a farmer could expect to prevail in the legal action against them. And tell us what's in this lawsuit now. What are you accusing USDA of doing? Well, we believe that USDA acted inappropriately, if, if not illegally, and abolishing the possibility of even getting these rules. So we're going to see what a judge thinks, thinks about it. Mike, you mentioned earlier you're a contract grower, you're growing chickens. and So talk about what, in your opinion, you, you said that uh, these contracts are lacking transparency. What do you want to see done differently within these contracts? Well, just uh, transparency, number one, uh, honesty and fairness in the market. When, when these companies are, are uh, making this kind of money and they're not willing to share it with the farmers who, who are uh, producing the product that they make all that money on, that's, that's wrong, and it needs to be changed. And, and, the, and the bigger picture of things, not only are they damaging individual farmers, but they're, they're drawing all the wealth out of our rural communities, which is driving our kids off the farm. You know, I, I have three kids, and none of them want to farm because they've seen what I've had to put up with. And the, and the majority of them are that way because there's no money in it, you know. When they're and that shouldn't be. Back in the mid 1980s, the the farmer's share of the food dollar was as much as 60 percent, and today it's down to around 14 percent. Mike, as we begin to wrap up here, what's what's your call for the people listening right now? What are you hoping people will do? I'm 
I'm concerned about the American public and everybody who eats in general. They need to start paying attention to what's going on with big agriculture taking over production in this country and worldwide, essentially. And if they if they want if they would rather have a, a family farmer raising their food versus a giant multinational mega corporation who, who cares only about the money and, and farmers care about the land, they care about the animals, the environment. They, they, they have to protect that because it's theirs and, they, and in order to survive, they have to do that. But the companies care only about money. So they, the American people need to wake up and start paying attention to that and help us farmers get control of agricultural production again in this country. And finally, Mike, if people are listening right now and they want to learn more information about your effort and the organization's effort, where can they go to learn more? Uh, I would encourage them to go to our website. It's competitivemarkets.com. We have a wealth of information there that can tell them, uh, describe in detail what the problems are and what they can do to help. Very good. That was Mike Weaver. He's from West Virginia. He's a poultry farmer there. He's also the president of the Organization for Competitive Markets, the group who has filed a lawsuit. In regard to the JIBSA rules that the Trump administration has decided not to implement. Reporting from Nebraska Innovation Campus from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Bryce Duskit on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We are looking at some numbers to the downside today for the most part on these uh, livestock trade as we talk with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. Good afternoon, Joe. Good afternoon. Well, trading in uh, livestock futures was a little bit uh, on the downside today. Uh, one one and only exception, the uh, Deese cattle, which uh, finished dollar uh, seven higher. And uh, that really uh, coming from the uh, sales last week, uh, on Friday at uh, as high as 120 and uh, but the rest of the uh, contracts uh, all slipped. We did start out higher in the cattle uh, on that news but as the day wore on we uh, began to slide and we uh, slid up until about the last half hour and then uh, tried to make a recovery uh, and finishing only moderately lower so um, you know we the uh, cutouts at noon were a little bit better, uh, but very light test, uh, and uh, just wasn't enough to uh, maintain a positive uh, outlook for the uh, cattle uh, during the day. So finishing lower in the feeders and the uh, live cattle. Over in the hogs, we're going to finish uh, mostly lower there, too. Uh, cutouts were sharply lower at noon, and that uh, really... Uh, put some pressure on the market. Cash seemed to be steady uh, to a little bit weaker uh, as the day went on, so it uh, didn't give much uh, help to the market e- there either, and uh, uh, we finished mostly lower in the front end and uh, just a little bit higher in the back end, so uh, mostly lower day in livestock today. Thanks so much, Joe. Joe Teal joining us with Great Plains Commodities. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. takes a live approach to raising money for cancer research. Good afternoon. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. We visit with Greg Weedle. He's chairman for CAF for a Cure. And Greg, this is all surrounding your 2018 Cattlemen's Ball. So before we get into the CAF for a Cure program, first talk to us about the Cattlemen's Ball in general as we are just about six months out here. Okay. 
we have been working on this now for about a year already. Our, our group has been, as well as the volunteers in the community. And um, it is June 1st and 2nd, and um, there's two different days, a Friday and a Saturday. Um, Trace Atkins will be singing for the ball, right, along with the prime rib meal. And then we have Tracy Lawrence and Lucas Hogue Entertainment on Friday night at the Cattleman's Ball. So we got some very good, excellent entertainment for this year. And um, this is all going towards uh, cancer research at the Fred and Pamela Buffett Research Center in Omaha, Nebraska. 90% of it goes up there, and then 10% of it stays in the local communities for um, if they want to add something to the hospitals or something like that. It's all done for, for um, medical reasons. All right, and as you mentioned, you have been working at this since basically uh, the last 2017 Cattlemen's Ball ended. So talk to us more about your calf for a cure program and what you're hoping to gain there. Okay, this had been tried somewhat a few years ago, and it had some success. And so this year we thought, okay, let's just try it another time, you know, and, and um, it is called the calf for a cure. And um, $1,000 donation, we um, steers and we have put them in a local feed yard, and we are feeding them out to where all the proceeds then at the end, cancer research in the area and the friend family about the research center. Uh, as of date, we have probably received $220,000 worth of donations for the livestock, as well as some people have been donating money for the corn or the distiller's grain, and it has just been phenomenal we have had from this all over the state all the way from last year's Cattlemen's Ball of Broken Bow those people were very receptive and have helped us out immensely we have received money from that area as well as Wisner, Nebraska and everywhere all over Nebraska it is something how the caring and the giving of the people in this great state of Nebraska it's just been great I cannot explain how um, great we have had this kind of response all right, and hopefully you will continue to see that sort of response as you head towards the 2018 Cattlemen's Ball. Anything additionally you guys are working on and looking forward to, Greg? You know, we got a lot of stuff going on, a ranch rodeo, farm and ranch auction, a silent auction, wine tasting, beer tasting, a general store. Um, we've got a new thing this year called the History Tent of History in this area, all the way from Rock Creek Station in Fairbury, all the way over to Oak, Nebraska at the Narrows. We're just right on the Oregon Trail, the Pony Express, and also the Mormon Trail. From there, we also have a style show of survivors of cancer, and it's always been a big hit. It receives a lot of response from that there. You know, right now, you can go to www.cattlemansball.com, and you can get your tickets to Friday and Saturday night activities as well as just the Saturday activities. If you're trying to find a stocking stuffer, buy your kids some tickets, and then they'll they'll have a reason to come back and see you as well as for a good cause of cancer research. Greg Weedle with the Cattleman's Ball for the Rural Radio Network. I'm Shaylee Peters. afternoon as we take a look to the grain side of the markets. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. John Payne joins us, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Boy, I'm optimistic that we would have seen a little bit of green on the corn as we get ready to end today's trading session. But do you think they can do it? 
Uh, <laughs> you know, half a cent down feels like a victory for this market. Just uh, kind of the slow bleed continues here uh, into, you know, holiday week. Really not a whole lot that's going to gyrate the trade around here, in our opinion, over the next couple of weeks. Weather will obviously do it out of the South America, uh, you know, zone, but you know, U.S. side, it's, it just feels to me like we're, we're, we're sideways. Maybe see another pushback up to 355. I wouldn't be shocked to see something like that. But for us to really get above 360, we got to have a story. And at this point, very little here other than the fact that everybody seems to be short, given the latest COT reports. And the soybeans as well, they've definitely had their struggles today. Yeah, soybeans, uh, you know, I, I think... Export inspections that were slow. I'm not even sure if they did come out today. We were we were pretty much delayed all all morning waiting for those to break, and uh, we got a good sale. But again, just markets are uh, continued selling, continued to sell uh, shorter term here as the markets are, uh, you know, very little to trade off of. So you get the the market flowing one way, like we saw uh, two weeks ago. You know, everybody seems to want to jump in and power the buy side. Now we've been selling and. Markets are, uh, you know, kind of back down to where they were before the rally started. 960 has been a very critical point for, for markets, and I look for uh, kind of a sideways chop here like we will around 350 in the corn markets. Can there be a little bit of optimism, though, John? we got some rain in South America, and it looks like some of the drier areas got a good drink of water. Yeah, I'm not so concerned about moisture at this point. Heat is really what I've been watching, and that's, you know, given the, the what we learned from the last growing season here, um, you know, heat, I think, in my opinion, is what, what's going to move the markets more than anything. Um, and we're going to get that the next two weeks down there. Argentina is very slow to plan anyway, but, you know, dry conditions, and then they're going to get 95 to 110 degrees. Um, but right now I'm hearing very little squawking by the producer side um, that we're hearing of any problems. But I think the prices reflect that. So I'm not, uh, you know, encouraging anybody to buy, but I don't think you'd be ca- cashing in your chips here as far as grains go uh, from the long side. If you are storing it out to reown it, uh, margins in the CBOT are incredibly low right now. Hedgers can reown for, uh, you know, with margin of $550. So, I mean, that's a fraction of what you're going to take in on the revenue side, and I don't think the risk is there. So uh, that would be how I would deal with it. All right, good things to think about. Thanks so much, John. John Payne, Senior Market Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain, joining us. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.